Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. Voters in Tucson went to the ballot box this week. On this episode of The Buzz, we'll look at the results and what the 2022 election season will look like. This was an off-year election for Arizona, but it has a major effect on Tucson residents because more than half of the city council seats were on the ballot. Voters were also asked about a minimum wage increase and whether or not the Tucson mayor and council deserve a raise. To break down the results, we spoke with Jim Ninsel, the executive editor of the Tucson Weekly and Tucson Local Media. You know, I don't think it really is a surprise that the Democrats did as well as they did. But I think Republicans are really struggling in Pima County these days. And let's face it, they're always at a disadvantage in uh, Tucson city elections because Democrats outnumber them by such a large number. But let's use the Wayback Machine to go back to 2009. That was that was a year after uh, Obama was first elected. You had the Tea Party Revolution uh, starting to warm up in this country. And Republicans put up a much more more aggressive campaign. They focused on issues like downtown redevelopment. They tapped into that GOP unhappiness with the Obama administration, and they managed uh, a near impossible feat. They defeated a sitting uh, Tucson City Council Democrat, and Steve Kosachik, then a Republican, won that race. Now, I don't think that worked out well for the Republicans in the long run because Steve, of course, is now a Democrat and and he did handily win re-election. But, you know, Republicans have won open seats in the past on the Tucson City Council, and there was one up for grabs in Ward 3 yesterday. Kevin Dahl easily won that one. And I think part of that might be that Republicans are focused on, you know, this false narrative about how the election was stolen in, in Maricopa County, and now they're looking at Pima County. You know, they did a lot of anti anti-mask, anti-vaccine rhetoric out there. And I I just don't think that sold well with Tucson city uh, voters. And and I, I also think they were really underfunded. And the Republicans really only put up one candidate in that Ward 3 race. Steve Kozacek had an opponent in Val Romero, who was officially an independent, and nobody ran against Richard Fimbris. Uh, so he had a walk. The Republicans, it seemed, someone said to me last night, it doesn't seem like they're even trying in Tucson. Exactly. And, you know, they, they've also stumbled in Pima County in, in 2020. Uh, they were unable to hang on to uh, the sheriff's seat for example. So I, I think there's there's a lot of blowback in a, in a heavily Democratic town like Tucson or a heavily Democratic county like Pima County. So uh, you're definitely seeing, I think, some of that uh, blowback against the Biden administration and the Democrats that you typically see in, in a midterm election, but it certainly was not the case here in Southern Arizona. The big attraction, it seemed, for City of Tucson voters was this question about the minimum wage. It passed. It's going in the city of Tucson up to $15 an hour by 2025. But there were a lot of other provisions wrapped into that proposition, not just the the hourly pay. How do you see the implementation of this going? I think the surprise to me was that you didn't get more opposition from the business community on this, you know, got 60 percent of the votes. So clearly popular with the voters. And I think, you know, the whole $15 an hour thing is something that voters really do like the the sound, even if there's some question about the impact. And, and certainly with this one, 
there's there's some questions about who it applies to. I mean, I think the only people exempted from this are babysitters. So I, I think there's going to be some real confusion if you hire a groundskeeper at your house and you have to pay him 15 bucks an hour. And there's a whole city office where people can file complaints against you. And I, and I think, as you said, the, those provisions are what uh, a lot of folks are concerned about on this front. And I wouldn't be surprised to see a legal challenge uh, for at least some of those provisions, whether the whole thing gets tossed out or not. When it comes to raises in wages, uh, we have to talk about the Marin Council. They again asked the voters of the city for a raise. They haven't gotten that approved since the 1990s. And it, as you and I talk right now, the day after the election, it's ahead, but not by much, and there are still ballots to be counted. Uh, what does it say about voters in Tucson that they'll raise the minimum wage, but they could possibly not give a raise to the wage of the mayor and council? And for council members, if they worked full time, they'd end up working at below the new minimum wage. And possibly at below the old one, that City council salary is not a not a huge salary. I mean, supposedly it's twenty hours a week, but I, I think most council members are are working forty, if not more. But I think it does certainly say that people are much more concerned about the average Joe out there than they are about the politicians and their paycheck. And they may just say, "Hey, you know what? Those guys can get by on whatever we're already paying them," and they do. But, you know, they do get a car, they do get per diem payments, or there are some uh, additional benefits to being a city council person. But I would say that, uh, you know, I, it's just still always a tough lift to convince people to give politicians a pay raise, although they've certainly come closer this year than any other, and they, they very well may end up with that raise at the end of the day. That was Jim Ninsel with the Tucson Weekly and Tucson Local Media. We'll hear more from Jim later in the show. The Tucson Clerk's Office will finish counting ballots on Monday. The election was conducted fully by mail, something that for city elections has happened across Arizona for years. Questions about the safety of mail-in ballots abounded last year. On Election Day, we asked Pima County Recorder Gabriela Casares kelly about the safety of the ballots. We have checks and balances that are safeguarding your um, information, that they're safeguarding everything about the process. We have very strict protocols. Um, your ballots are handled with the utmost care. In a bipartisan nature, we actually require that opposite parties are both present anytime that your ballot is even transported. And we have a really wonderful way of checking to ensure that it is you who is voting. That seems like the most common question I get from people who live in Arizona and especially people who live outside of Arizona. How do you verify that my signature is, in fact, my signature and not somebody else's who's voting my ballot uh, for reasons that we can't explain? We actually, within our system, are able to compare your signature for all of your past voter registration forms that you have submitted either through our office or through the Motor Vehicle Division. And so if there is a question, if this looks a little off, there are a multitude of safeties that we have in place to ensure that it's your signature. 
Um, and so we actually have forensic trainers who come and they show us the differences in the loops of your elves and the slant of your hand. Um, and also um, discuss the changes that a person goes through. Um, you know, your signature is not the same <laughs> as it is when you're 18 versus 40 versus 90. And so sometimes one person's signature, if there's a question, we might look at five different uh, variations of, of their their forms over a number of years, and uh, we're able to make that determination. If we still have a question, we will then contact the voter. Of course, you and I are talking on election day. So there's ballot counting going on or, or ballot processing. We haven't gotten to the counting phase yet, but we will in a few hours. Have you heard of any fraudulent activity during this city of Tucson election? No, none at all. I don't know how people would be able to do that um, with, the, with the various checks and balances that we have. We are often trying to determine, well, what are, what are ways that, that we are vulnerable? But because of the systems that we have in place that have been in place for you know, well over uh, two decades, um, there, it's really, really uh, difficult to even come up with an idea of how somebody could falsify a ballot and, and sneak it in with, with the others. And so our office, the recorder's office, we actually don't open your ballot. Um, we only, only verify the signature on the back of the envelope. And once we have verified that, then we turn it over to the elections department and they tabulate. But we are not touching ballots, really. Um, it's more, more about the affidavit. The city election was, of course, all vote by mail. Looking ahead to next year, we've got the August primary, the November general election, which will have a combination of vote by mail and vote in person, whatever people want to do. I remember during the campaign, you were talking about maybe moving us to voting centers away from individual precincts. That's the way Maricopa County does it. Is that something we might see for the 2022 election season, or is that a little further down the road? Uh, we're actually um, testing the equipment for that as we speak. Um, so we are operating um, small ballot replacement sites um, just at our three recorders offices and then at Vail at the Christ Lutheran Church. We're testing the equipment right now, today, um, and the plan is to move forward for 2022 to have vote centers. I realize you're still in the testing phase, but can you tell us, is it going well or, or close to as well maybe as you were hoping, but still needs tweaks? It's going extremely well. Um, we are, of course, going to have a debrief after this election and, you know, to see what went right, what went wrong. Um, vote centers takes out all of the guessing games. This year in particular, um, we're looking at redistricting um, and a lot of the lines of where people live um, and who represents who are going to be changed. Um, and because those lines change, that changes jurisdictions, that changes uh, boundaries and uh, limits all over all over the state and country. And we're expecting people to know their new precinct numbers or their new <laughs> legislative districts. Um, that's just really not realistic. And so um, if we can have uh, vote centers where people show up 
they know they're eligible to vote and they're given the appropriate ballot. Oh, what a tremendous opportunity for our whole county. One of the things in voting law that has changed recently is what some people call ballot harvesting, allowing one person to collect many ballots and then turn them in on behalf of others. That's not allowed anymore. Is that something you'd like to see gotten rid of, even though it's been disallowed fairly recently? Yeah, so that that just recently passed um, just a couple of years ago, and it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And it was shown that it does disproportionately impact communities of color. Um, And right now the law says that if you can drop off the ballot of anyone who lives within your household, anyone you are caretaking for or just a household member. And, you know, what that really means is the, the, the person across the street who you might be checking on once a week or helping them with their groceries or dropping off food, especially during this global pandemic where we see more and more people relying on the help of their neighbors, that excludes those people. That was Pima County recorder Gabriela Caceres-Kelly. You're listening to The Buzz. This week we're talking about elections. We started off talking about the Tucson City election, but now we move on to future elections. Right now, we're actually standing downtown on the corner of 4th Avenue and Congress, and we're here for a reason. We are right on the dividing line for what could be Tucson's two new congressional districts. Joining me downtown, Andrew Oxford. Welcome. It's a beautiful afternoon here. Perfect day to be out. It really is. And Andrew, let's explain a little more why we're standing on this particular corner. Yeah, so this would be the dividing line between the two districts that will split Tucson apart. So if you look east, you'd be looking into a district that would come, the dividing line would basically come down 6th Avenue, follow here along the railroad tracks, and then go west out Broadway. So if you live, say, north of Broadway and east of 6th, Uh, you would be in a congressional district that would also stretch up to include Marana, Oro Valley, down to include Vail, and all the way out to Cochise, Graham, and Greenlee counties. And then the rest of the city, so downtown, let's see, South Tucson, all the way down to Green Valley, Santa Cruz County, Yuma, would fall into a different congressional district. This would be one that would look a little bit like Raul Grijalva's currently, but uh, would be a little bit bigger as well, taking in all of Yuma. Well, since it's a beautiful day, let's take a walk and basically jump between the two districts. Uh, For those of you who are listening along, obviously, and you know where we are, we're actually heading down 4th Avenue right now. We're going to go under the overpass, leaving downtown, heading into the heart of the 4th Avenue district. Andrew, this is a big point of contention for Tucson Mayor Regina Romero. She does not like the train tracks that we're about to walk under as a dividing line. Yeah, there have been some concerns raised about where exactly you draw the line in Tucson. And the mayor has argued that the line is better off around Campbell, which is kind of where it is right now. If you think of Anne Kirkpatrick's district, folks who live east of Campbell fall into one district and folks who live west of Campbell, you know, including in the university area, fall into another. But uh, so she wants to move the line back sort of to the east. The current line, the one we've been living with for 10 years, splits Tucson east-west. This would split Tucson more north-south. That's right. And, you know, her point is, I mean, we're kind of walking her point right now. 
these neighborhoods all fit together. Her argument is the university ought to go with downtown. People go back and forth all the time. You can hear the streetcar going by. It all fits within the streetcar route. Uh, and that these neighborhoods are really one and should be kept together like they are right now under the current congressional maps. But you know, that's not quite the end of the story. I, I think that there are some counterpoints to that. One that you would hear is that if you move the uh, district lines further to the east, let's say you take the university uh, and put it into what is now you know, Raul Grijalva's district, basically, that you'd be taking Democrats out of that southeastern Arizona district. The fact is, that would stand to be a really competitive district as it is right now. So by taking Democrats out, do you end up slanting it more towards the Republicans? I think that's going to be a big question facing the commission going forward. It's not just the mayor of Tucson who can give her comments. Anybody can give comments now. The maps are out. They're not the finals. But we're in a 30-day public comment period at this point. So this is an important time for the mayor and any of our listeners to be making their comments, right? That's right. So right now we're in the middle of a public comment period. There are going to be more hearings. Uh, you can go onto the commission's website, draw your own maps, submit your own ideas about where those lines should go. And, and look, though, at the end of the day, the line does have to go somewhere through Tucson. Tucson is probably going to be split some way. I think the question really is just, where do you end up drawing that boundary? When it comes to this district, as we walk along now 4th Avenue, you can certainly see the mayor's point that the 4th Avenue section of the district uh, that she's talking about with restaurants and clubs and bars and where we just left by Hotel Congress, the Rialto Theater, it, you can see her logic and how it, it should be kept together. Did the commissioners, because you were watching the meeting, give any reasoning for splitting the line the way they did? Well, one big interest is to create competitive districts. That's actually one of the things that voters said they wanted the commission to focus on when they created the Independent Redistricting Commission back in 2000. So that is not creating too many districts that slant towards the Republicans and not too many that slant towards the Democrats. And like I said, this would be one of those districts that could potentially be very competitive in setting up uh, for you know, voters here to really make some big decisions about uh, and have a real choice in who they want representing them in Washington. But you have to look at that in the larger context of Congress as well. The maps that they've proposed would create five districts that voted for Joe Biden in 2020 and four that voted for Donald Trump. But it's more complicated than that. Depending on how you look at it, there would be three districts that would be safe Republican districts, two that would be safe Democratic districts, and then you'd have four that are, by the commission's math, pretty competitive. Uh, and that includes two kind of toss-ups, including the one we're talking about right now. I think the commission is going to have a big interest in keeping this a competitive district, but they also found some of the mayor's arguments compelling. As we finish this walk now down 4th Avenue, having started downtown, moving from one district to the other as we've been talking and walking, what are the chances that the mayor's comments or any public comments will really be listened to by the commission in the coming 30 days as they get ready to finalize these maps. Well, the thing about the process is it's a tough balance, right? So you've got a commission that is two Democrats, two Republicans, one independent. And the thing is, whenever you move a boundary line, although moving it a few blocks can make a big difference, 
that means it has a ripple effect across maps, right? Because these districts need to have roughly equal populations. So if you take some people out of one district, you have to find some place to put them. Andrew, thanks for taking a walk downtown with us, but now we're going to head back to the studio and bring Jim Ninsel back in. We began the second part of our discussion talking about changes on the city council now that we have a new member. Let's look forward to this new city council, if we will. We will have a new member, Kevin Dahl. What does Kevin Dahl bring to the city council that maybe it didn't already have or maybe it already had? He's been a longtime environmentalist in this town, and his whole campaign was really built around the idea of climate change. Certainly a topic that the city council has already been discussing. You know, Mayor uh, Regina Romero has talked a lot about the importance of sustainability and planting a million trees and going green as much as possible. And I think the whole council has pretty much leaned in that direction for some time. And I think Kevin's also talking about issues like rent control uh, because we do have such rising rents in the uh, community. Uh, what power the city has to control that, I, I think, also remains to be seen. One of the issues the city council looks like we'll have to deal with in some fashion is the hiring of a new police chief. Uh, chief Magnus is getting closer and closer to being confirmed um, into the Biden administration. Does a new city council bring any new directives to the city manager as that search begins officially and in earnest? No, I think uh, Chief Magnus was pretty in line with what you've seen with the all-democratic Tucson City Council in terms of you know working to try to uh, reduce negative interactions between police officers and the public, you know, the whole notion of community policing and all of that. But, you know, I, I, I suspect they'll be looking for someone with Magnus's, uh, you know, a, a similar approach to all of this. But, you know, at the same time, you're, you're having some real issues within the police department right now regarding this vaccination mandate that the city has. A lot of officers are resisting that and we're getting closer and closer to the uh, date where they have to take care of it or, or find themselves basically laid off. So I think we'll just have to wait and see uh, what happens uh, with with both that issue, which, which you know, uh, morale issues, and the fact that we are understaffed as a city uh, and, and police officers are uh, finding jobs elsewhere. Looking again ahead at next year, we are in the public comment phase for the Independent Redistricting Commission's maps. Uh, Tucson is split instead of east-west on a north-south. We know Tucson Mayor Regina Romero is not thrilled with that uh, split where the line is. What do you expect the representatives of Tucson to look like on the congressional level or, or even the legislative level when all the dust settles next year from the elections and we're under new maps? I think you'll probably see Democrats doing well in Southern Arizona in the legislative districts, with the exception of the of the Republican one that has been curiously drawn. And I think on the congressional side, I, I think uh, CD2, where Ann Kirkpatrick is retiring, and that'll be a tighter run for a Democrat. Uh, I think uh, Congressman Grijalva is still probably going to be in a, a relatively safe district. And uh, but. 
and and then the district that Tom O'Halloran currently represents up in uh, up in what's now CD one that includes Oro Valley and Marana, but also goes way up north to Flagstaff, and uh, that's obviously undergoing some changes to make it a uh, much more competitive district for uh, Congressman O'Halloran. Although it, I, I think that was always a, a a competitive district, it was just that Republicans tended to nominate pretty extreme candidates, and as a result, uh, struggled to win it. Uh, uh, and we'll see, you know, what those candidates look like coming out. But again, uh, Republicans have been putting forth candidates who have some some pretty radical beliefs, and that may prove to be a problem uh, in in a competitive race as opposed to a one sided district. The the races on the East Coast. Everyone was watching the Virginia gubernatorial race this week. The Republican won. Interestingly, Donald Trump did not go campaign in person for him, certainly sent out a lot of emails and messaging supporting. Is that the beginning of maybe the Republicans don't need Donald Trump in person and maybe we won't see so much of him? Granted, Carrie Lake, for example, who's running for governor here on the Republican side, big supporter of Donald Trump, but maybe Matt Salmon, another Republican pushes off from him a little, or do you think we'll see a lot of Donald Trump in Arizona over the next 12 months? Well, you saw Matt Salmon when he when when Carrie Lake, as well as some of the other candidates in that race, say, well, you know what? You know, we respect the Donald's choice, but, you know, I'm the real heir to Donald Trump. I mean, he is magic in the Republican primary and, and more so than ever. I think people are definitely going to want to uh, buddy up to him. And in the primaries, uh, that's a great thing for a Republican in the general election. Maybe not so. Trump did lose Arizona. Despite his uh, claims of fraud, uh, Martha McSally lost two Senate races buddying up to Donald Trump. So it's not as if the independents love Donald Trump. However, they may be, again, you know, moving in the directions of the Republicans just as part of that anti-White House, anti-Biden sentiment uh, that comes out in uh, a typical midterm election. That was Jim Ninsel, the executive editor of the Tucson Weekly and Tucson Local Media. And that's the buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Emma Gibson produced this week's show. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.